You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lamb Goat presents the Van Flip Podcast. One, what is up? Welcome to this week's episode of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. On the show this week, I have Josh Middleton, formerly of Architects, but currently full-time Silosis uh, mastermind, so to speak. How you doing, Josh? Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, I'm doing really good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, you know, this is uh, always fun to do these international podcasts. I do... Uh, a couple here and there um it's very weird aligning the times because you guys are so you know behind us uh, on the east coast here yeah it's fun yeah 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 i'm looking forward to it i've yeah. done one in a, a while uh a podcast or just with lamb goat yeah, uh no a podcast in general yeah oh, okay cool yeah i know you were on yeah, um you're on craig's podcast with the downbeat yeah yeah quite some time ago now yeah yeah yeah. um is that something where like because he's also in the uk do you just like link up and like go over to each other's house is that how that works for the most part we we used to (laughs) yeah like i mean he he used to literally live like a five minute drive from my house like we were inseparable for many years (laughs) yeah watch movie movies together like every night and then uh but now he lives up in scotland so it's like Uh, a, a flight I get a plane to get to see him so yeah I, I don't see him as much so when whenever we're on tour and we're in scotland glasgow then i'll see him interesting yeah, yeah. i guess so i guess all the people that go on his podcast or at least appear in person have to go to scotland these they're days. up there yeah, ah. yeah so most most of the people he has on i think uh are on tour there's a, a few where they're not on tour yeah but I, yeah i'll i'll get a plane up to go see him if i'm not on tour so, so yeah. it takes a plane to go up there you can't just drive or what's the what's the the trek like out the there? drive the drive would be about like 10 hours oh, or wow. something so i mean it, the obviously the uk you know not as big as texas but like <laughs> from where i am like down south near london to the top of the country like yeah i, I wouldn't do it for anyone <laughs> that drive. yeah it makes me wonder what, what I, made, I mean, I know that he is like, he's got some Scottish, you know, in him and or, or whatnot, but yeah, yeah. It, would, it would be weird. I guess he just wanted to get away from it all. You know what I mean? That makes sense too. Yeah. Fresh start. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's kind of cheaper up there as well. And oh, it's a great place as well. So yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. enough, enough about Craig so much, uh, but yeah. you made an interesting point about him living nearby and because the uk and especially like the london area and whatnot there are a lot of bands that come from london and the surrounding areas so it seems like you guys have like a a kind of like a tight-knit like music community uh like again you used to live kind of close to the strays from the path guys so you know how um what's the community like near you and do you still have you know other bands like that not maybe not on the level of like stray or like your bands but you know bigger or smaller bands you still get to hang out with those guys or have they moved on and done other things yeah there's there's not as much and the the uk scene is kind of good at the moment but it's it's different to how it was when we were coming up especially in the very early days of silosis like there was a lot just in our own hometown there were like a lot of bands that were like all kind of doing well craig's old band the atrophy um so i have a bunch of friends that were in bands from that time and that i still see um but yeah, I feel like some of those bands aren't aren't around anymore, and uh, there's like a new crop of bands that I don't know as well. But um, <laughs> you've been the busy. scene in general is cool over here. Yeah, yeah. that's good. I mean, it's I've all... been around for a bit. Yeah, no, yeah, but you've also been very busy. I mean, you were in you know formerly of Architects, which toured the world, yeah. played shows with all sorts of bands and all sorts of levels of their career and you know opening bands to fucking playing with metallica and stuff so you know you've kind of swung for the fences with that and you guys kind of hit um so i guess 
what I really want to start with is like, what made you, and I'm sure you've answered this a million times before, so apologize for asking, but what made you decide to do Silosis full time? Because you were doing both for like a decade plus, so did you just felt like it was time to kind of move on from Architects to do more of a passion type project, or how'd that, how'd that go? Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, like the, the Architects stuff, like we're, I'm still friends with those guys, of I'm course. still speaking to them, so, uh, not to, uh, I don't know what the term is, but um, we're just trying not to like talk about it much, just because you say like one tiny thing and it gets like Taking flipped on its head yeah. somehow. So um, yeah, I mean, the, well, I mean, I pre I I'll preface it. I'll preface it with this: you're all buddies, you're all friends, and I would assume that you just kind of like did all you thought you could possibly do in that band as as you, and then maybe you were wanting to focus on another project whether it be heavier lighter or a different genre so that's kind of what i would assume because there was nothing you know else out in the public and you guys are yeah, all still yeah exactly i mean let, let's we'll run with that i mean that's <laughs> yeah kind of, kind of i think that's fair to say like um just kind of like reached a, a natural conclusion i guess yeah just say that like the music and stuff um but yeah i mean i wouldn't i don't really want to say like musical differences necessarily because like I love like super heavy stuff. But I also like Radiohead and stuff like that. And right. those guys still like super heavy stuff as well. So it's it's yeah. I I think you know it, it kind of just is what it is now. But um, Solosis is like was the first band I started, and it's like it's just a huge part of me in my life and and my musical DNA. And it's kind of like uh, I'm just compelled to to write that kind of stuff and um i think like one of the, the the main things i took from being an architect was uh being able to collaborate more like that that was i did always like seek out um you know the other guys you know the input and everything mm -hmm. but when i when i first joined architects and the first started writing for holy hell like the first two songs that i submitted i gave to dan who would sort of um produce the work I'm sorry if you can't hear a screaming toddler in the background I can't hear it at all so you're good <laughs> you're good awesome <laughs> so uh, so uh, yeah so he'd, he'd like kind of you know produce my work and rearrange things and like take stuff and well that's that was my verse but now that's the chorus and this kind of stuff and to begin with not having had Aeon be so um, I don't know I don't want to say brutal but like so hands on with like my work that at first was like we really like oh this is horrible like I'm not used to like having something that I've had a vision for and something in my head to um, get changed around and, and, yeah. and manip manipulated like that and over time and over years like it, you know it still could be uncomfortable like because obviously music and songwriting can be really personal or it can just be like a difference of opinion or but um learning to kind of let go of the reins as hard that I, as I used to in terms of like creative control and like that was really beneficial for me as a person like uh, as a songwriter and to the point where the, the latest Silosis record which I'm so proud of has been like just actively seeking out critique and actively seeking out like more input as much as possible like tell me the songs suck I want to know just like <laughs> rip them apart I, I can take it now so like my time in Architects definitely um, helped me adjust to that and it's made me uh, a better um, collaborator and yeah and, and it, I, I don't think it was like an ego thing necessarily I mean, I mean like you just kind of like have a vision for what you want to do sometimes right um, but learning to let go has been beneficial so yeah yeah i mean obviously i just started waffling then yeah you're good you all they want to hear you talk more than want to hear me talk so just keep that in mind when we're, we're doing we're going yeah. through this um yeah so it must have been difficult i mean because again you were you you came into architects like you know during their whole they already were established for the most part you know obviously they've grown since 2018 uh but still it must have been difficult kind of like having a way that you songwrite and write music and stuff like that to where it's like again giving up the reins and doing all that uh so it must be like refreshing you know to be able to fully focus on just your main you know your main passion project which is silosis now and uh that being said 
does the new record uh, a sign of things to come right uh, does the new record kind of maybe go a little heavier than the previous stuff because of maybe you had not I don't and when I I'm gonna say like pent up stuff but like not towards the band but just like ideas and stuff that you may you, you know you had in your head that you probably couldn't use for like the architects project or anything else Hey, what's up? It's Lurk. Looks like you're enjoying the podcast. If you are and you like what we're doing here on the Van Flip, why don't you go ahead and pause this, give us a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to. If you want to find out any information on your favorite bands from the hardcore and metal scene, visit lambgoat.com. And to stay in the loop about everything that we post on lambgoat.com, make sure you like us on Facebook and you head over to Twitter and Instagram and follow us at lambgoat. Are you a full-grown adult and you also have a TikTok account? Congrats. Follow us on TikTok as well. You can find us under the username lambgoat.com. That's spelled out D-O-T-C-O-M. Head over to our YouTube channel where we have all of these podcasts in video format plus a lot more content that you should check out. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and you hit that notification bell so you're always alerted when we upload new content. And last but not least, if you want to follow me, Lurk, the host of the show, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at LurkCity. And as always, if you need any of the links that pertain to the artists on the show today, Lambgoat, or myself, you can always find them in the description. Thanks for listening to this message. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah, I mean, de- there's definitely stuff that I, I write that can't be used for architects. And it might not even be like heavier it's mm. or anything, it's just like the type of riffing. Like uh, after Holy Hell, <clears throat> the Dan was kind of like, go weirder, write less generic. Not that he was saying that I was writing generic metalcore riffs, but just like, <laughs> we need to, for architects, try and go somewhere else so I was kind of like doing trying to write quirkier riffs and mm-hmm. doing like octave pedal weird stuff and so uh try and make the guitar sound more like a synth so just the just the style of riffing alone like I, I like a lot of traditional metal stuff like I grew up on Metallica and Sepultura so it's it's just like a different school of riffing as well um and obviously like this record the sign of things to come this was like we were writing it as soon as the pandemic hit. Yeah. So I was still in both bands. It wasn't like mm, I've okay. left one and now I'm doing this new one. Um, yeah, so the for me, the, there is a lot more like heaviness and like intensity injected into the new record. But that came from me kind of like taking a step back and realizing that I've over the years kind of lost touch not lost touch because I've always loved heavy music and stuff but right. I, I feel like the more you get used to just sitting in front of a computer writing with a guitar on your lap and uh, and just kind of getting better as a songwriter we kind of lost where we started as kids where you like we were listening to like the great Southern Tranquil and like Slipknot Records and you just want to like flip a table like right. when you're like pissed off little kid you know like yeah. that kind of exciting intensity and energy that I love about metal is like my favorite thing um, even though I still proud of everything we've done and it, the records we have done have all been heavy but just just I wasn't putting enough of that electricity into it so like, I'm writing the record in here like stood up playing riffs like trying to like feel it feel it a bit yeah. more you know yeah exactly like and um so yeah it's it's just been like kind of reconnecting with the roots of the band and we when i say the roots of the band this is like completely widely undocumented because we were a band for like four years before we released any music Mm -hmm. so our very first ep was released in like 2005 yeah how old were you when you started how old were you when the whole band started like must have been like a young teenager right 12 I guess <laughs> I was gonna 12, say. so wait you yeah. released that first EP or what not like at 16 17 is that what you're is that the time frame no I must have been older than that I'm, my time frame is all over the okay, shop like, st- <laughs> we started essentially in like the first day of like high school in the UK so okay. like, when you're 11 12 and uh, I already was playing guitar and I met um, this kid in the first class I had who uh, turns out he played drums? I was like, amazing. And then it turned out he lived down my street. I was like, oh, this is perfect. So I like took all my guitar and my amp down to his house straight away, and that was the start of Solosis. But it was a few years of finding other members because it was hard to do pre-social media or just hard to find anyone in our own school that yeah. liked heavy music. Um, so yeah, we we were a band for 
quite some time and, and when we started it we were listening to like just everything it was the end of the new metal period so like Slipknot and then you mm-hmm. had like Pantera and we were getting into like Cannibal Corpse and stuff and loads of like the relapse grindy stuff yeah like, okay, and okay. Pig Destroyer and, and Burnt by the Sun like just anything that made me want to like trash my bedroom you know <laughs> like, yeah so uh, that's that's something that I always seek in heavy music but the more I kind of reflect on Solos' records I just feel like it, it wasn't coming out enough even though I'm proud of all of our music and we're not going to like uh, disregard where we all those records we have we'll, we'll still always have a foot in that sound but uh, yeah definitely want to inject more of that electrifying feeling of when you're a kid and you like the first band practice when you crank your amp up mm-hmm. and you're playing with a drummer and it's loud or the first time you like Put on by like the first time I put on Iowa by Slipknot, I was like, "This is exactly what I want right now." So, <laughs> just kept trying to capture those feelings and put them into the music. Yeah, um, what is the scene like for you when you were a younger kid over there? Like, did you have uh, an older brother or or a friend that was turning you on to this stuff, or how did you kind of like fall in at a young age to the heavy world? Like. Because you said you were 12, so I'm assuming you were listening to that before you were 12, before high school. So how did you kind of go down that path? Yeah. I kind of just discovered it all for myself. Okay. Um, weirdly, like, I started playing guitar when I was about eight, maybe. And then when I got to secondary school, high school, um, I had a friend who was just who had an older sister that bought Kerrang! magazine. Mm. And uh, she was like, you should buy Kerrang! magazine if you like this type of music. So I just started buying that and Metal Hammer. And just kind of, you'd get like cover mount CDs, like free mm-hmm. CDs every maybe a month or two months. I don't know how often like they were. Like compilations with tracks on them from different bands. Yeah, yeah. So I would hear just loads of bands through through those CDs. And I just look at pictures of bands who like, they look cool. I'll buy an album to see, <laughs> see what it's like. I remember seeing a picture of Corn, mm. and uh, I went out and bought the Good God single, which was one of like, the first like heavy records I bought, and I was like, this is perfect. This yeah. is exactly what I want. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I, did, I did a lot uh, yeah, of the same it, thing. did a lot of the same thing. Continue, though. I'll, go, I'll get yeah. into that later. Yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of it. Like, I, I just... Um, I was discovering it for myself and just trying to get as many people as I could into it but there was like two three people at my school that yeah. would like heavy stuff so I was kind of a, a bit of an island on yeah. my own in terms of that stuff yeah no one showed I didn't have like you know speaking to people uh, on the podcast or just in general like a lot of musicians or a lot of people in the scene or, or whatnot they like they seem to have like an older brother or a friend of something that w- would put them onto that and like I get envious of that because I, like you I didn't have something like that I was like the canary in the coal mine and I saw I, I found the bands first and then I showed my friends and kind of got them into it uh, but you know no one was no one was giving me anything and uh, like you I, I would go through like circus magazine and I would you know look at the images of the bands or just like listen to the compilation CDs and stuff like that because I was uh, I got into new metal earlier on and then fell into metal and hardcore and everything like that shortly afterwards uh, but yeah it was I missed those days of like having I mean that kind of connection with the, the magazines and like the CD booklets and stuff yeah. like that that's always like a very uh, important time I guess in a youngsters musical career like finding themselves yeah, definitely. I, I really like the kind of the more like mysteriousness around that era. Like you can, uh, I didn't know what the guys in Limnot or Pantera sounded like until I bought like the home videos or something. Like you, you didn't, yeah. you just see a magazine every now and then, and you, you'd have no idea. Like there was a bit more, a bit more mystery between the audience and the bands, which I kind of liked. But obviously, I'm just that's how I grew up right. appreciating music and like the the industry so uh i just obviously like most people just like how they grew up with it but i'm kind of i feel kind of like proud that i didn't have anyone like an older brother or something show me that stuff but part of me is like i kind of i i I always felt like i was (laughs) i'm definitely not the most mature person i know (laughs) but for the time like i was just like can you guys like all kind of you know 
raise like get up to my level because years later when i leave school all these people are like now they're into heavy musical mm. alternative stuff but at the time they were just like whatever's on tv and stuff yeah and i was the big big part of music for me was like i was into skateboarding i had a bunch of friends that i used to skate with and we would skate with older kids from a different school who were like five years older than us hmm. but and they all liked heavy music but I, I, they would lend me cds but i would also lend them some like yeah so it wasn't like I was getting everything from them. It was just like a mutual thing. But I would hang out with older kids because they're the only ones that were into alternative stuff. I mean, one of the CDs I got because of a Kerrang, like one of the first Kerrang compilations was the Will Haven first record. Mm. And I was like, this is the coolest, heaviest, meanest record ever. And I literally gave it to someone the next day, like, borrow this. This is amazing. And I never got it back. <laughs> Yeah, whoops. We just had Jeff yeah. on the podcast not that long ago from Will Haven. So that's kind of, you know, cool awesome. that you brought that up. Yeah, um, yeah, I love that band. Yeah, they were pretty good. And they're, they're you know, doing some stuff now. They're releasing their new EP uh, album, number seven or seven or whatever it is. Yeah, so they're still they're yeah, still yeah. cranking it, you know. Um, have you ever, like, traced back, like, what band actually got you in to heavy music? I know you said Slipknot, Iowa, and, like, Korn, uh, uh, the Korn single you bought. But, like... Before that, did you ever kind of like this? This is the reason I stopped listening to whatever my parents were listening to, and then went in a whole different direction. Like, is there a band or a song that you can remember? Uh, Good God would be probably be it. So okay. like, I I was already into Slipknot before I went, but that record was the big one. For right. Me. So like, uh, when I yeah started playing guitar, it was like the first Foo Fighters record, mm. Radiohead actually, because they whatever like you know even Oasis like. It was easy to. I don't think you could be in England or the UK and not like not enjoy Oasis, right? Is that like a faux pas thing? Uh, I, maybe yeah. At the time, I mean, they were at the time I started playing guitar. They had done the second record, I okay, think, yeah. and yeah, they were the biggest biggest bands in the UK, in um, the world almost. You know, yeah, and then, huge. Yeah, and then I I got into like Smashing Pumpkins and stuff and Rage Against the Machine and. Smashing Pumpkins like have some kind of riffy stuff and the elements of. I'll, I'll give, I'll like give the them a couple. There's a couple. They're not my favorite band. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, like Zero's kind of like riffy and yeah. there, there's some cool stuff and they're just like a natural progression of like just checking stuff out. But uh, I think the, the Good God single by Corn was like it was so heavy yeah. and like intense. I was like, this is perfect. And then when I remember when Follow the Leader came out, even as a kid, even as like a snotty little 13 year old or whatever I was like oh this isn't this is a bit more like polished and not as yeah. cool like oh, not for me and then Slipknot came out I was like yes this is like way more intense and high energy and like amazing and the thing I love about Iowa is I because of all these bands like you had like Corn and The Biscuit who bring out a first record produced by Ross Robinson and it's gritty and it's heavy and then they do a follow up that's like commercial yeah. and yeah. polished and uh -huh. stuff Slipknot kept going on about how they were going to get heavier and it was going to be more intense and I was like oh, I really hope so but I, a part of me is just like well it doesn't usually happen that way right right and they, they were already like huge I remember seeing Slipknot on the first record they played above Rage Against the Machine at Reading Festival just one below the headliner on the first record they were already like one of the yeah. biggest bands on the planet so I was like really hope the next record is heavy like they say because in my experience it doesn't really happen like that <laughs> and then Iowa came out I was like this is exactly what I want and that's when I, I was like already like checking out um, I was getting into like death metal and morbid angel and cannibal corpse and dipping my toe into the extreme world um, so yeah like that, that whole period was really exciting yeah like discovering stuff I kind of wish Slipknot kept going down that that path of like just one-upping their heaviness but you know they got to a point where they got really, really big, and uh, you know, to, to maintain that really, really bigness, you got to write songs for a lot of people that to enjoy, you know. And uh, they, they still have it. I'm not saying they don't, right? But it's not Iowa or the self-titled, you know. It'd be interesting to see what would happen if they got like Ross involved in a record again or, yeah. or anything like that. But yeah, um, but yeah, they're they're a big band for me growing up, and Pantera, another one when you just look at their career just like Cowboys to Volga Volga to Fabio Driven Fabio Driven to Tranquil like as a kid as a heavy music fan they just got heavier mm -hmm. 
in that time. Well, the they had to shed that hair like, metal side. They had to, they had to like, well, they got yeah, to forget yeah. about the hair metal <laughs> part. <laughs> yeah, true. But, like, as a kid in the 90s, and I, I loved, like, loads of the new metal stuff, but um, there's a reason why, I mean, I, I think they're a great band, but uh, people wanted, like, heavy shit. And, like, as fans, when you get a record that's even heavier, like, yes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you look at, like, their their career path of those records in the 90s getting heavier and, like, Slipknot, Iowa, like, as a fan... I'm always kind of like seeking that. We got a comment recently. Uh, it was like we put out the the single "Poison for the Lost," and uh, the, the reaction was like overwhelmingly positive. Like, just I, I try not to look at all the comments and take it <laughs> yeah, too seriously. Like but I was reading them. I was like, "This is like amazing! Like, so positive." And there was one bad comment, and it was still a positive comment because it was like, "This isn't my solo. This this is too heavy." I was like. Nice. Like that's perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry I mean, for your I, loss. I, I don't want our I don't want our fans to be disappointed. I, I genuinely don't like you know want to alienate anyone. Uh, but uh, yeah, but you're not gonna make kidding it, me. You're not gonna make something for everybody. So you know. No, exactly. Yeah, but the, I mean, and it's a diverse record. Like the last single, I think, shows that. But the the like little fourteen year old kid that is still in me, like that likes all this sort of music, was just like, yeah. yeah. Would um, would you ever have you ever tried to work with Ross? I haven't. No, I uh, admittedly, yeah, I don't know. I we get like a new I'm metal psilosis record, you know, that would be tight. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm I'm definitely into opening up that conversation up. Maybe we'll dip dip our toes in with an EP or something. Yeah, yeah, I think goes. that uh, I think yeah. I might have uh, spawned a thing in your brain. So hopefully that comes to fruition now that I've said that. Um, yeah, I'm surprised I haven't. <laughs> like I genuinely just went on a, a streak before, well, whilst writing a new record, of specifically seeking out or just revisiting Ross Robinson records, even like the Glassjaw record. Of course, there's a. There's, hey, are you a big the, fan the, of that? The, not like a huge fan. Okay. I remember the song "Pretty Lush" being on a crying CD, <laughs> and there's like a there's a I haven't even thought about it now, but I kind of ripped it off. There's like a break in the song where he just goes like you no or something, just like this frustrated noise. Yeah, and then like I think "Poison for Lost" has a similar sort of frustrated breath before the last chorus. I was yeah, like, oh yeah, we why I got that from. But there, there's like an intensity to all those records that he captured that is magical yeah yeah, yeah. like vocal performances in particular yeah he's a great yeah. producer especially for that time uh yeah he was like he had his little grubby hands in all the badass records uh including yeah. glassjaw and biscuit and corn and all that stuff yeah that's how like i mean glassjaw is like one of my all-time favorite bands but they were like they they were new metal enough and seen enough like hardcore enough for me to start like my trajectory started going a different way from new metal and uh, that was the band that kind of pushed me into like hardcore and more metal and then like hate breed and all that other stuff. But um, yeah, yeah. God, I was going to ask. So where did your love for Metallica come from? Yeah, that came. So I was already into Metallica a bit and I had maybe some singles. I used to buy a lot of CD singles back in the day. Like pre, what version of Metallica though? Like, because Metallica, when we were, I'm, I'm almost 40. So I'm assuming you're kind of in the ballpark of my, my age. Few years younger, yeah. Okay, yeah. So you're but, like thirty so or something. They were on, yeah. They were on Reload when I okay, started yeah, like buying the magazines, and I think I bought like the Unforgiven Two <laughs> single and got the, you know, some old tracks as live yeah. versions on there. And uh, I remember showing my sisters. Here's an, an older influence, actually. My sis, I've got an older sister, but she wasn't really into music in the same way. But uh, she had a boyfriend at the time, and I was showed him sick by Slipknot and I was like this is great you like it's got these drummers going doo, 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 doo. it's like no that's that's not drums that's like double pedal the start of sick you know the doo, 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 doo. Uh, yeah, yeah. it was like if you want to hear like cool double bass drum stuff you should check this out and he gave me Injustice for All mm-hmm. and I still have his copy that I stole <laughs> all these years later uh, so when I heard that I was like oh this is amazing he showed me the solo to one mm like tapping I was like oh yeah this is great tons of riffs I remember all the like the harmonized guitar stuff 
like asking him, I was like, is that a chorus pedal? He was like, no, that's like two guitars harmonizing together. I was like, oh. I had a little four track at the time, so I used to kind of just like write harmonize mm. stuff all the time. Uh, Pre-internet, pre you couldn't was... look stuff up. You know, you had to like just ask yeah, somebody yeah. else or figure it out. Exactly, yeah. So, and Justice for All was like the first one I really spent time with, and it's you know obviously probably the most aggressive. Like Hector was probably the most yeah screamy on that one, which was in the new metal era and or just that era like everyone's just screaming any metal with like singing I was a bit like eh, mm, yeah. I don't know but yeah so that that kind of started Slipknot would always uh, go on about uh, like death metal bands Morbid Angel and Cannibal Corpse and stuff so I started checking them out and then getting into Metallica I started going in a more metal route but mm-hmm. I, I was always into hardcore and stuff or bands like yeah Hatebreed Poison the Well yeah classic everything kind of you know all that kind of stuff from that period i think when you're still young you're not specifically in like one subgenre where you're yeah i mean back in the day it was all it was all just one kind of like i used to call it the scene you know i'm into scene music you know the hardcore scene metal scene whatever the fuck and then you grow up and you figure like oh no there's different scenes in different genres so that's what that means yeah um yeah i got in i think i mean i was you know able to to watch like Inter Sandman on like um, VH1 or MTV or whatever in the 90s but I didn't really like you know get into it uh, because I was so young and th- that seemed like an older band at the time uh, I think when like Load came out and some other songs I was like okay th- again these were like the ballad versions of like Metallica right I didn't listen to yeah. any of, like the Injustice for All or Kill Em All until much much later and I was like oh I get and like it was such a, like a light bulb moment for me going, that's why everyone fucking loves this band. It's not because of the, I mean, yeah. <laughs> the radio hits are the radio hits, obviously, but like these guys actually are shredding on these older albums and shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, how, yeah, I didn't have any of that stuff either. Like I didn't have any music TV or sky or yeah. I, I had nothing. So just the four channels that we have here in the UK on terrestrial TV at the time in the nineties was all I had. So I, I didn't discover anything alternative through TV or anything. Mm. So it was just basically like wish. print magazine. It was like print magazine yeah. and word of mouth from your like local people. Yeah, pretty much just buying uh, Metal Hammer, Kerrang! and Rock Sound magazine religiously. Never missed them. Just bought them so, for years. So let me get, you just said you had four terrestrial channels on TV. So like in the 90s you only you guys BBC only, 1 yeah yeah 2 and 3 BBC 2 <laughs> that makes so much more sense yeah. to like a you know a state a person in the states here like like what's the difference between 1, 2 but and 3 <laughs> there was only B- 2 BBC it was BBC 1 BBC 2 and then you had ITV 3 different company and then Channel 4 was separate to the BBC so we only had 2 BBC but there was only like channels, 4 channels but, on the TV like you could only choose 4 stations on the TV there wasn't like a cable option yeah like, if you had satellite I mean, assuming, yeah, you know. if you had satellite or sky but my parents never did ah. and I didn't have the internet for a long time as well so yeah not many people did either at least in the UK I think it was quite common to just have the, the 4 channels yeah that's, that's crazy in the yeah. 90s I mean that's something like we had obviously earlier on in like the 70s and before that you know but uh it's always been like a handful of channels and then but you know when you get expanded cable there's a lot of dog shit on there so it doesn't really matter in general yeah um so it must have been wild though for you as like a fan of metallica to one day you know share stages with metallica yeah i i didn't really think that i'd get to do that or it was just I've always had like a lot of uh, confidence in what I do as a musician and the music I've made over the years, but the chances of getting a, a slot supporting Metallica just seemed like right. so minuscule. So I, I, I was like, yeah, I'm probably going to do some cool stuff, but not to sound too arrogant, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, but playing with Metallica, I was like, yeah, it'd be great, but I'm not going to hold my breath yeah. for that to happen. Um, so yeah, it was it was insane. Like especially, you know, growing up watching their home, uh, like the like their live show DHS tapes I used to have, where they're playing. In, they've obviously been playing in the middle of arenas since like the Black Album. Uh, 
I never thought I'd get to play on a stage like that, and it's so weird because you've got they've got the snake bit in the middle. Yeah, I don't know. You don't know which way to face. And this particular stage that they're touring with on this tour is the biggest they've ever done. So like, you'd all be trying to like cover some ground and you know take up some space on the stage and keep moving. But I'd be like halfway around from my station where I've got like my water bottle, my guitar tuner, <laughs> and my microphone. I'd be like, oh, I've got to do a backing vocal in two bars I can't get back to my microphone in time yeah so uh, it was a bit of a, a learning experience and but it was cool we got to hang out with him briefly I've got a picture of me holding a, a cake that James Hetfield gave us nice uh, I, I, I've got another great picture that a photographer Ed took where I'm like putting some dumb face because I was just saying I love the riff on the new album in Crown of Barbed Wire that goes and uh, you can kind of see James going, what riff is he yeah. talking about? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, they, they were super friendly. Um, yeah, amazing. How many, how many dates was that? Just the one show or? It was oh, so annoying. It was three. Okay. Uh, and the middle one, I got, uh, and the, the, the band is doing more with the next year as well, by right, the way. Right, right, right. Um, the, the middle show I got food poisoning or some sickness bug and it took me over a week to get over it and I had to miss that uh, middle show so you only got so to do the my, one show or did you get to do the one two in, okay. I, I got I did two so the first one sick for the second one in Paris and then I did Hamburg interesting yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things I think that is really fascinating with metal and the fan base is uh, it is quite large um even though you know there's not a lot of mainstream help coming i mean there's definitely big mainstream metal bands out there but you know metal is big as even like smaller bands get a lot of love but it always makes it always seems like europe and uk have like a more crazier fan base from metal over there and like you guys have the bigger festivals and you've had them for years, right? Like you, you said, Reading. Although Reading is not necessarily like a heavy, heavy music festival, but like you've had it like, used to be, right? But not now. Yeah, you have. Um, you had Hellfest come up, and you had like Download, and you had all these other festivals, you know, whacking open air, and all these other things that have recently have been going on. Um, what? Why is it that metal is so prominent over there, and not necessarily as prominent in the states? I. I don't know. I don't think it is that prominent. No, I don't think maybe from an outsider's perspective, it just seems like you guys. Yeah, do no, a lot of I, metal I, over I there. get it. Like the 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 shows and the festivals are really cool, um, or at least like the festivals. I think. Um, but yeah, from my experience, I think the amount of metalheads per capita isn't any greater here oh, okay. if anything I would say maybe smaller mm -hmm. and finding people into alternative music is harder I think in the UK and there's less bands you know like there's obviously tons of bands in the US yeah true so many of these like scenes and cliques of, of people um, I think what it is that shows aren't quite as um consistent in the UK so like a US band will pro probably only do like one UK tour per year or per album if like that, that yeah yeah. whereas in the US you're going to get them coming around a few times and people are like eh, I saw them last time I want to go maybe they're a bit more not as bothered so I think people are a bit bit more excited to see bands over here just because it, you know it's made up more commonly of US bands that don't come over as much um, so maybe they're a bit more excited about the shows. Yeah, that makes some sense. Um, and I guess it's kind of maybe the same with Europe, but in Germany, heavy music is definitely bigger, probably bigger than you know metalheads per capita in the UK right. and maybe uh, in America as well. They like aggressive um, stuff. I don't, you know, Germany with aggression. Yeah, okay, I mean, got it. <laughs> they'll, they'll have, they have, you know, like heavy bands will chart consistently over well, there. Well, I'm sure Ramstein like, is like their oasis too for, you know, for a lot oh, of people. Yeah, they're, they're huge. But even like, you know, more traditional stuff like Accept or Doro mm -hmm. probably charts really well just in the same way that uh, Electric Callboy are probably huge over there as well. Like, um, so it's cool. Yeah, I, I, Germany is like one of my favorite places to, to tour and play shows. Nice. 
A tree band as well, yeah. That's cool. I've, uh, I haven't myself made the trek across the pond yet to visit any of the European countries or the UK. But, um, yeah, I mean, hopefully in the next year or so I will be able to. I'd really like to go to either Hellfest Download or one of the big festivals over there and have us cover one of those. I think that would be a Hellfest cool thing. is in like the lineup is insane. Yeah. I like did. It's, go ahead. It's every band. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like every band that has ever existed. Like you look at the lineup and it's, I don't know how many days it was this year, three or four. I think four. And how many stages and like every stage you're like, yep, 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 I'd see them. And like, yeah, you probably miss a lot. Like you probably get attracted to the festival but miss half of, if not more than half the bands you want to see because of the set times and the scheduling. Uh, but yeah, Hellfest is up there because I'd like to be able to say like I did attend the U.S. Hellfest. I did attend the last one in two thousand four or five, and uh, nice. two thousand four. And um, it'd be cool to like go to the fuck. I guess next year's is twenty twenty four. That'd be a dope festival to go to. Uh, twenty years later, going to the European Hellfest. I'm yeah, there you go. Go yeah. to France. Um, for your band, Silosis, um Speaking of like breaking over, you know, like uh, metal music being different in the UK and and or, um, in Europe and uh, America, when did you start to notice that you were kind of like breaking away from just the European fan base and getting like a fan base across the across the uh, ocean, like America and everything? Uh, and is it hard? Yeah, was, is it hard for a band to like break? Across, yeah, break totally. Across? Especially like growing up reading um, print media at the time, like the late 90s early 2000s especially those, those new metal days um it, it felt like and most uk bands from this period and the guys in architects could probably attest to this that like it felt like you had no hope being from the uk that uk bands were just tiny at that period like none of the heavier bands were breaking through the noise you had stuff like from the past like i made and judas priest mm-hmm. but in the new metal era like could you name a new metal band from the UK? I can, but they never. I mean, there's one that I kind of consider it, but you know, they've been disgraced at this point. But Lost Prophets was kind of like one of the new metal. Yeah. Bands. Okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. Definitely. Okay. They're like an exception, but by the time they broke out, they, I wouldn't say there was any metal no. left in there. But yeah. the, the first record was new metal for sure. There was a band called One Minute Silence that did yep. okay, but yep. um, yeah, it just felt like the, the odds were stacked against you, and like being from the UK was not cool growing up so Makes it sense. felt like an up, it would be an uphill battle but I think st- things started to change anyway with the internet and I don't know if it was specifically due to them doing well but Bring Me The Horizon were probably the first or one of the first British bands to get big in the UK in the US sorry and like I don't know if that was like opening the door for British bands or like it felt like British bands could, could be cool yeah. obviously they were like a pretty cool band um, at the time now, obviously you had like I guess Bullet for My Valentine maybe they broke out but before that there was like this 10 years of nothing nothing yeah. like poking its head up so yeah it felt tough so but yeah for us I think the first time would have been the first time we toured in the States we did a tour with Azalea Dying mm. in 2011 we'd been over for New England Metal Fest just for the one show which was expensive <laughs> um but yeah, we, we did that tour, and on the way to joining the tour, we flew into LA, and we were borrowing Azalea Dine's old van that we picked up from there, but the tour started on the East Coast, so we did like a headline tour on the way to mm. the East Coast, and that was our first time in the States, so we were like, this is going to be terrible, yeah. obviously, no one's going to know who we are. And uh, yeah, so our first shows outside of New England Metal Fest were headlining shows, and one of them was, yeah, Rosa Villa in Columbus where Dimebag got shot which mm. was like not a very well attended show but there were people there yeah. and like we were yeah I, I, we were kind of surprised that maybe there weren't tons of fans but the fans that we did meet and I think this has always been the case with Solosis are like super into it like yeah. super dedicated like almost like a cult like following it seems um, and the first time we went to Canada we didn't go on that tour we did a tour in Lama God the following year mm-hmm. where Randy was it was in between his like you know going back to court yeah the, the whole, public he'd been yeah, in yeah. 
been in prison but he hadn't gone back so the tour couldn't go to Canada mm. we did a tour 2013 with Trivium the first time we went to Canada we were like oh we need to come back here because yeah. Canada's scene is like well for, for us anyway or maybe for our type of music more so it was like interesting we like sold like four times as much merch on that first night we were like oh this is nice we keep coming back here um, I know <laughs> but yeah it was a slow slow process okay that's, in that's interesting any, anyway um, yeah, the internet definitely changed the game for a lot of people, including Bring Me the Horizon. I know we have like four or five yeah. more minutes left here before I got to cut you loose. So I want to. There's two questions that I was going to ask, but I think I'm going to just uh, break it down to one. Which one am I going to ask you? I can ah. try and do both. I'll try. Ah, and fuck it. Well, I think we'll, prob <laughs> we'll probably have just the one, so I'll do this one. Okay. Architects, obviously, architects was at a, at a certain level and. No offense to you, Silosis is a certain level too, but they're different yeah. genres of they're different genres of metal, so that's yeah, yeah. to be known or to be you know expected. But you've you've graced a lot of stages in the last six years, you know, six or five years with that band, and a lot of those stages were huge, huge stages. You know, like again, you just played with Metallica, or you didn't just, but you played with Metallica. You've also played like a lot of headliner spots at festivals and just headliner shows in general, uh, in arenas and all that other stuff. Um, are you? And again. Not saying you'll never be back to this that size of stage, but for the time being, is that going to be like something you miss, like that sized crowd and playing for that sized crowd, or do you kind of enjoy a smaller, you know, capped room, smaller stage, more intimate show? Yeah, I I love small shows for sure, um, but I'm also we were fortunate so that Solace hasn't been on tour since 2016, but we've done like a handful of shows. Right. We, we like just came back with a record after a five-year hiatus just as the pandemic hit mm -hmm. and since then architects were busy and i just do some shows here and there but like the last show solos has played we got to support uh land of god and creator at yeah. wembley arena so that was architects had headlined that previously and i played it before so that just felt like oh i'm back on the big stage again <laughs> but i've also played some smaller solos headline shows and I just yeah all of it is great there's there's benefits to both but small shows and clubs super fun yeah. I definitely don't have any uh, like ego about that stuff I'm I just love love playing live so uh, yeah I think a lot of people whatever the, whatever the size of the stage I think more people enjoy or at least they say they enjoy the smaller intimate shows because you don't want to sound like a complete d-bag when you're like i enjoy the big yeah. stage and the, you know the all the yeah, and attention the big stuff fun for sure i would but, assume it uh, is wildly fun to, yeah yeah I, I to me i i really like uh the, i think the sweet spot is like three thousand cap yeah for, that's, that's even but when it feels it's still big yeah, yeah, yeah big. for sure but but like arenas are just vast yeah. and club shows yeah you want a bit more space on the stage so you're not like bumping into everyone <laughs> yeah you want to play a bar like a little a little bigger stage than a bar stage yeah i, I think my the only thing would be play venues where and this won't always be the case but where you've just got enough room to step back from the mic and not be stood on the drum kit <laughs> yeah 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 for sure so yeah but other than that like i'm i'm easy all right, right. there's definitely posted both one more i'm going to slide this one in and you can answer it within like two seconds 90 seconds two, you know 120 seconds um as a pantera fan and you had mentioned you played the club where dimebag was kind of you know shot and ultimately killed at how was that for like you as a musician not only like a, a metal musician and a fan of the band but like someone who obviously lived i don't know how many fucking miles it is away from Columbus to you know where you are in the UK but like how was it being there on that same stage uh yeah weird uh, I mean it, it was a pretty overcast day so it was pretty kind of like just dreary mood was low anyway yeah. and uh yeah it, it wasn't cool really it was but yeah it, it, it was a it was a weird uh, weird feeling. I can't remember it too well. I, to be honest, I don't think we really realized it. Overthought the whole thing. I, I think we realized it because it was like, you know, we we knew what happened there. But yeah, the, I I don't think I was really thinking about like the incident that had happened there. Like 
and looking back now and maybe I did but it's obviously been over been like 11 12 years yeah. since it happened since we played that show um, yeah I, I guess my answer is kind of boring in that uh, it wasn't yeah. Well, that's good though. I can't right? remember much of it. <laughs> that's good. It didn't really affect. But it was kind of bleak. It was, it was bleak. Yeah, yeah, I would assume it would be so. Um, all right. Well, we'll end it on that note. There, a bleak, little bleak note. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for I those, know. for those who have made it this far, Silosis's new album has been out. Uh, I think a couple of days. Because this will release no, September twenty. All right. This sorry. will release shortly after that. Okay. So, like within a, within a handful of days. I think the Friday before this podcast comes out is when the album comes out. Right, right, my uh, bad. So, yeah, you've probably already checked it out. If you haven't, listen to it. Are you guys, uh, and again, this won't be released for another month, so are you guys planning a tour for the States? Uh, we are We are planning to make our way over there, yeah, in 2024. That's cool. the plan. Nothing cool. to announce yet, but yes. No problem. That, that right, is, we will on be the on the lookout for that for sure. Um, and again, Josh, thanks for your time today. Uh, if you haven't, check out Silosis. Uh, you can check out all of Josh's links that are going to be in the show description below. And uh, yeah, we look forward to the new album. Well, that's already out currently, but you know, now we're recording it a month in advance. I, I've already heard it and everything like that, but everyone is looking forward to it. So uh, yeah, man, thanks for your time, and we appreciate you t- uh, being on the show. And if you need anything, just let us know. Thank you for having me. No problem, dude. Thank you. Cool, man. I appreciate that. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life. Uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast. <laughs>